Welcome to Podcast Sans Frontiers, a Metal Gear Solid audio experience. Here, we infiltrate the narrative, interrogate the characters, extract the themes, via Fulton, of course, and finally face down the technological behemoth that is the Metal Gear franchise. Oh, you're saying? Give war a chance! I'm Manu, also known as Manuclear Bomb. Hi, I'm Brent. Today's episode is Give War a Chance, our introductory episode to Metal Gear Rising Revengeance from 2013. But first, our spoiler warning for this and every episode. Everything is declassified. We know who Sigint becomes. We know who Meryl marries. We know the fate of Master Kazuhira Miller. This is not a playthrough podcast. It's all on the table for discussion as we progress through the games. So as per usual, we will dive into the production history of Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. There's overlap with our first Peace Walker episode. These two titles were basically announced simultaneously at E3 2009 as part of the two-fold continuation of the Metal Gear franchise, and both had been teased with under-construction spaces during Metal Gear Solid 4 cutscenes. But the portents for this game go back to Metal Gear Solid 3 Subsistence, in a secret film, Rosemary jokes that Raiden would be the star of Metal Gear Solid V. The game was supposed to be developed in-house at Kojima Produ- Productions, but a long and embattled development cycle led them to hand over the title to Platinum Games, who basically redid all that was given to them. The game was allegedly secretly cancelled before the handoff, and then the handoff occurred during December of 2011. Kojima would remain the supervising director, and production would be handled jointly by Kojima Productions and Platinum Games, with Kenji Saito of Bayonetta fame directing the game. It should be noted that the original idea for this game did not come from Kojima himself, but the KGP staff, and the original timeline of the story was meant to fill in the gaps between Metal Gear Solid's 2 and 4. Yoji Shinkawa provided character designs again, and Kojima Productions was in charge of voice acting and cutscene work, while Platinum handled all the game design and coding. The trailer for Revengeance, as produced by Platinum, would be shown at the 2011 Spike Video Game Awards, Ugh. with the radical paradigm shift away from Metal Gear Solid staples. This would be an action, not stealth, based game, while the music would be hard rock and more adrenaline-inducing than the sublime industrial scores that preceded it. This is also where it was revealed that the story would now take place after Metal Gear Solid 4, and was pretty much all in Platinum's hands to write. Kojima was unwilling to commit to the canonicity of this game, but if you've been listening to us, you know that canon is for you to decide in the end. In 2013, he would clarify his remarks because, though it didn't line up with his idea of post-Metal Gear Solid 4 events, he felt it was still a valid interpretation and considers it a parallel story and continuation. Kojima was also actively cutting trailers and hyping up the release of this game, which could be why he changed his tune a bit. A January 2012 podcast from Kojima Productions would clarify the following. 
enemies would be hiding from the player instead of the other way around. Codec conversations would be included, more so than Metal Gear Solid 4 even. Pretty much anything on these maps can be sliced and diced. Multiple attack or cut types for quick attacks and targeted heavy attacks would be included. And Kojima was on board with the abandonment of stealth. It didn't fit Raiden um, or the type of action that the Metal Gear Solid 4 Raiden we saw would partake in, or that us, the player, would actually want to play as. The plan seemed to be that Metal Gear Rising would become its own series, a franchise unto itself if it became popular enough. And if you are online in Metal Gear spaces, you know there is a loud contingent of fans who are eagerly awaiting a follow-up to Revengeance. There's even an Easter egg to a Metal Gear Rising sequel in one of the non-canonical side missions in Ground Zeroes from 2014. Trailers for this game were all over the place, including voice work from the late John Sigan, who voiced Solidus in Metal Gear Solid 2. His appearance would be only be in the trailers, though he is mentioned quite a bit through the game. The game's music was composed by Jamie Christofferson, and in contrast to the solid titles, a lot more vocal tracks were worked into it, specifically for the boss battles. As we cover this game, I'll include as much of it as I can, because honestly, the soundtrack's legacy is almost as enduring as the game itself. A demo of this game would also be shipped with the Zone of Enders HD collection, picking up the meme from the original Zone of Enders title, which shipped with the Metal Gear Solid 2 demo disc. Anything on the production you want to get in here? Uh, I know that, yeah, like you said, like just the um, Kojima not being as involved. You can really track this game's development by what he talks about. Because I was into the series at this point, but I wasn't really like following it super closely. But I do remember seeing, I want to say a few months after they announced it originally, that there was like, he was very, very uh, noncommittal about it being canon. He was just like, wasn't. He had seemed to not be very interested in it. And then, you know, two years later, he's very, he's like promoting the shit out of it. He's everywhere talking about it. So you, can, you can tell that the game turned around pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, even now, uh, if anyone doesn't follow Ko- Kojima on Twitter, like he's still now, even after everything that happened with Konami, like retweeting like Kaz and Snake slash fake art and all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and he continues, like, you know, if a revengeance thing hits his window, he retweets it. So, um, I think whatever maybe iffy feelings he had about it during the production, and maybe it's a result of like how the production didn't go well at Kojima Productions. Yeah. Um, I think all that's kind of gone, and he's like, yeah, it's cool. Uh, as he is with most things, basically, movie or game. I was born with the wrong side. The game was released on February 19th, 2013 in North America and Europe, February 21st in Japan, and elsewhere within the following week. 
Japan did not receive an Xbox 360 version of this game, though the Western markets would. Ditto, there was no Revengeance demo in the Zone of Enders HD collection for the Xbox in Japan either. A special edition was released exclusively to the PS3 and Japan in December 2013, and a PC version would come January 2014 as well. The PC version would include DLC missions and armor, and additional features to play all the cutscenes, codex, and fight all the bosses from the main menu. Pre-order bonuses for this game include artbook, steelbook, various DLC codes, t-shirts, and the soundtrack, making it the first time you'd ever want to actually pre-order from Walmart. The game itself was well-received, albeit with lower scores than most Metal Gear Solid titles. It consistently got an 80% or 8 out of 10s across the board. It's not quite Metal Gear Solid, but it's a lot of fun in its own right, and just enough Metal Gear trappings to be delightful to its fans. And that's me kind of summing up what the reviews were at the time. That's not my own take on it. Well, my meet cute with this game was just a month, month and a half ago. So I can't say I have a great story here about when I came to this game, aside from the fact that I started playing it, uh, stopped and played Elden Ring nonstop for seven weeks. And now I'm coming back to this game, which is kind of a trip. Hopefully Brian can tell me more about how he encountered this game way back when. I actually have to figure out when exactly I played it, because I can't remember if it was right after it was it wasn't too long after it came out because i said i was into the series by then but i don't think i got it immediately and i'm trying to think of what i would have been getting i know bioshock infinite was out at that time i have to look it up here in a second but uh, yeah i played it within a few months of it coming out so it, it yeah it's it's been i think i rented it I played through it the one time. I didn't re- I didn't own it for another few years after that, though. It was 2018 or 2019 before I actually bought it, and I played it a couple times since then. Yeah, no, that's actually a good transition because you, as we do, we usually talk about what games came out around uh, Revengeance's release, mm-hmm. which was February 2013. Yeah, I definitely didn't play it before. Bioshock Infinite came out in March 2013, so I definitely didn't beat it before then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, looking at the games that came around, uh, since it is a February release, what I've kind of done is taking the late fall 2012 releases, like the late holiday season releases, as well as the early 2013 releases, because I don't think the games that come out like later in 2013 are really relevant to what came out around Revengeance, but. Okay. I'm looking here. Um, it says I was playing it in March, 2013 on trueachievements.com. So I must've got it. God, when did Bioshock Infinite come out? I thought I had it before then. I have it in spring 2013 in the next section, so it... March 26th. I guess I played it before Infinite came out. That's interesting. I don't remember that, but... Yeah, I must have, I must have rented it pretty soon after it came out. Because you could still rent games then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The video rental place here didn't close until like 2019. Maybe 2020. Oh, that's that's even pretty later than everything around me. Yeah, we were always we were always a little late on this, on this stuff. I think we'd still have it if it was still... If it, like... It was family video, so it's it was a 
it was a, a chain. A chain. Mm-hmm. They went out of business entirely. I think our store probably would have stayed in business for a little while longer. But you know, yeah. So that's um, how it is living in the Midwest and uh, parts of the Midwest that aren't Chicago. We're like two or three years behind. Uh, sometimes that's to your benefit. Sometimes not. Hey, I'll um, wait, wait, wait till you see the uh, video store, the store here that sells shitloads of old DVDs. It's great. So the fall 2012 releases that precede uh, the release of Metal Gear Revengeance include Far Cry 3, Walking Dead, the Telltale game, Dark Souls, Artorias of the Abyss, which I don't know if that's uh, a DLC or an add-on, Lord of the Rings Online, Riders of Rohan, Borderlands 2, and Dishonored. Uh, Before I move on to the spring 2013 games, do you want to say anything about any of those titles? Also XCOM. Oh, XCOM Uh, Yeah, I, I don't like any of them. I famously don't. There's none of those games specifically that you just mentioned. I famously like. That was fun because I, I don't I have no other reason to talk about this unless we ever talk about Dishonored. I had to decide because Dishonored and the XCOM reboot came out on the same day, and I had to be like, "Well, I'm only getting one of them." So I, I bought XCOM, and I was like, "Yeah, that was the right choice. I loved it." And I didn't play Dishonored for like six or eight months, and then I finally rented it, and I was like, "Let's see what this game is." And I was like, "Shit, <laughs> the mistake I had made." Um. Yeah, it's it's a it was an interesting time. We're kind of reaching the end of like the this like Infinite is honestly commonly seen as like a um, end of this kind of game and like the start of whatever next gen is because mm-hmm. GTA Five comes out later that year. We're also just on the precipice of the next generation of console. Um, yeah, because uh, what PlayStation like drops what end of twenty thirteen early twenty fourteen. Uh, the PlayStation 4, and I can't... Yeah, the the Wii U came out around this time, I think. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so yeah, it was right. But like, um, yeah, it's good. It's like, These are all very late-generation games, or late-generation for the console. You can see, like, Dead Space 3 is the end of one kind of action game from this era, and then, like, six weeks later, Bioshock Infinite comes out, and you can see there's a different kind of game. Like, it's just... Mm-hmm. It, there's, there's every... F- half a decade or so you get this the one I'm thinking of specifically in 2007 is another Bioshock game when Bioshock 1 comes out right around when Metroid Prime 3 comes out that's like those two different kinds of game that are mm-hmm. trying to hand it like handing the baton off almost I always like looking at stuff like that I'll at least go to bat not for a game I played but uh, my Lord of the Rings co-host over at my brother my captain my podcast Emily uh, she absolutely adores the Lord of the Rings Online. I'm not much of an MMO player. Yeah, I never but, played it. I, I yeah, because I don't play MMOs. But if I played MMOs, really, I probably would have. Yeah, that's exactly that's, where. That's I, the shit I'd be into. Yeah, I would do that before World of Warcraft or. Um, I did play World of Warcraft for like four months and had a, a cracking time, and then never wanted to play it again. It's just. I just don't understand the infatuation with it. I don't know. I've never been someone who wants one game to play all the time. I hate mm-hmm. that concept. And if you are at all interested in Lord of the Rings Online, uh, Emily is always looking for people to play with and interact <laughs> with. So you can feel free to at her at J.R.R. Tweetin. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'd still play I'd still play Star Wars The Old Republic if other people wanted to play it, but I don't think mm-hmm. anyone else wants to. So um, I think I know a couple people still playing Star Wars The Old Republic. So if you or if any of our listeners want to connect with other players right now, I'm sure I can facilitate that. I have to redownload it first. Moving over to spring 2013, because I know some of these games Brian's going to have a lot more to say about, the more notable releases around the Revengeance release are Kentucky Route Zero Act 1, Mass Effect 3 Citadel, Bioshock Infinite, 
uh, Crusader Kings 2. And though this is just a little bit later, uh, in the summer of 2013, we do get the MGS Legacy Collection, which is the one that uh, packaged MGS 2, 3, and Peace Walker together, which is how a lot of people, including myself, first played Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker. We also got the uh, the one good StarCraft 2 game, Heart of the Swarm. That came out around this time. <laughs> Tomb Ra- the Tomb Raider reboot came out. Oh, I actually like those games in the sense that they're, you know, just like... I actually think the more recent Tomb Raider games are kind of better versions of the Uncharted games. Uh, j- just because they've learned from, you know, Uncharted kind of ripped off Tomb Raider for a bit. Yeah, I, I just don't... I don't know. I, I The problem is the Tomb Raider games are like I played the first two and I I didn't dislike them. They're more like survival movies, like they're like brutal and kind of dour and like mm-hmm. I don't know, I just like give me like the rollicking adventure shit. That's what I want. Yeah, it's it's less that Indiana Jones tome and more like what's a good the Not predator, oh. but uh <laughs> It is like far more dour. Um, the yeah. one reason I do kind of like it is just it kind of takes some of the actual like indigenous culture stuff a little more seriously. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I'm not always looking like I'm not expecting Uncharted to be like a firm meditation on colonization when I'm buying that game. I'm yeah, I'm trying to give Nathan Drake psychic damage from murdering a million people in 30 <laughs> seconds kind of thing. So I totally get that. It just um I, they 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 were fun games to play, but I beat them once, and I don't come back to them. I don't a hundred percent them or anything like that. Yeah, four. I think I think four was the only one that was like really serious. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because it's serious about Nathan being like kind of a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's yeah, the, no, absolutely. Like, this guy kind of sucks. Like he's just not a, not a very good person. Oh, Injustice: Gods Among Us came out around this time also. Oh, I, I never played that, but I know people are uh, fans of that because uh, there's two of them now, right? Yes, the second one is pretty good. I don't know, the first one. The models don't look very good. I'll say that. Is this uh, DC trying to play catch up with um, the Marvel versus Capcom kind of? Yeah, I mean, well, Injustice is not the one. That's Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe. Oh, which okay, sucks. yeah, okay. Injustice is the straight up. It's the one that Superman is evil. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, and so it's just straight up a DC game. Like, there's no IP like cash. Yeah, yeah, Lex Luthor is in it. He looks like Bruce Willis. Funny to call it not an IP cash in when it's just all DC characters, which is obviously an IP. But it is like a it's a story game. Like the Injustice is a story game. Like I actually thought the story was pretty good. But yeah, that's that's a game that came out that has some cash in. Yeah, we actually what like are hitting twenty five to thirty years of like the original Mortal Kombat, and actually Mm -hmm. like going Mm -hmm. back to that first one and thinking about like oh, there's actually kind of an interesting story embedded in a fighting game. Yeah, I mean this is a SNES Genesis level, you know story it's not metal gear solid but mm. i can see like telling a fun comic book story through a fighting game i think that could be really cool especially if you make superman the bad guy so you did you did miss a couple of important games in the end of 2012 halo 4 and <laughs> hitman absolution oh that's just me keeping you on the toes keeping yeah. you on your toes to make sure Hitman you know. absolution is a game <laughs> it is a video game i mean I don't know if we'll get to it first for the pod. I imagine we're still a couple years out from that Bond uh, IO title. At least. Either which way, I'm at least going to play like the Hitmans before that if we don't get to it for the podcast itself. Let me let me go ahead and, and tell you, you don't need to play Hitman Absolution. It's not okay. terrible by any means. It's Hitman Absolution is the is the late Metallica album of Hitman games where it's like if it was if this was somebody else doing a Hitman style game, I'd be like, hey, pretty good. But it's it's a Hitman games, and it's just not it. They just it's way too linear. They do too much. Like seventy percent of it is just going through hallways shooting guys. And it's like I don't really. 
It's not a hitman. Yeah. I stopped listening to Metallica around like 1998, and so like the last couple. That's what I'm saying though. Like, like if like the Black Album was a band that wasn't Metallica, I'd be like, hey, pretty good. You guys did a pretty good impression. But it is Metallica, which makes it more disappointing. Yeah, I was about to say, uh, Load and Reload are like the last studio albums I had, and I would say between the two of them, there's like one album worth of songs that I'm like, okay, yeah. this is all right. Um, yeah, but not anything I'm writing home about. Nope. No, it's no and Justice for All or Ride the Lightning or Kill 'Em All, which is. Seek and destroy the greatest driving album ever made. Well, I mean, how many wrestling intro songs came off Kill 'em All? Because definitely Sting <laughs> how many had songs Seek and Destroy from Doom came off of Kill 'em All. <laughs> I feel like someone also had the Four Horsemen, or maybe the Four Horsemen. No, I don't think they used that song. No, yeah, because Ric Flair obviously has his 2001 uh, intro. Well, they had their WCW music around this time, mm. which is which absolutely rips, but it's not a Metallica song, unfortunately. Absolutely not. I did want to say real quick, this is the t- the period when Telltale Games was kind of at their peak because Wolf Among Us is about to come out and The uh, Walking Dead Season 1 had just finished. So this is like them at the peak of their popularity. They're going to get that Batman license soon and have a pretty good Batman game. They're going to get like the Borderlands license. They're, I think Stranger Thing comes out for them in a, like a year or two. So this is right before they started overloading themselves and ran their company into the ground. This is kind of the peak of Telltale games at, at 2012, 2013 time also. Yeah, Which this is, is you know, very relevant for this uh, hack and slash ninja game. but Because uh, I think generally, um, I haven't played many of them, but I think uh, The Walking Dead is considered the best of the Telltale series, or at least it's so much better than what the show was at that point that people really liked it. Oh, yeah. I actually played uh, the Game of Thrones one uh, yeah, for yeah. O- obvious reasons, and this came out right around this time because it literally, the first opening is the Red Wedding. Um, you're like some like random plebe who's outside of the castle where all the Starks get murdered in, and that kind of kicks off your story. So that would have also dropped after the actual Red Wedding aired on HBO, which was summer of 2013. So... Um, this is really right when they really start expanding their scope and yep. thus all the dimish- <laughs> diminishing returns that come with it. So we'll wind down today talking about game design and mechanics. Unlike the previous Metal Gear Solid games, I haven't had years or decades to think about the design, and along with that, I have played a lot fewer slashers and sword fighting games. Basically, I've played the Bayonettas, Jedi Fallen Order, and most recently Elden Ring. And to the extent that those are similar to Revengeance, it is pretty limited. In standard combat, you can perform normal combos and quick and strong attacks against enemies, but the main focus is on blade mode, which expands the cutting and slashing mechanics to be more precise and player-driven. For heavy enemies and bosses, this is where a big chunk of damage will be dealt. Attacking in blade mode uses FC, or fuel cells, which you can build up by landing standard attacks or doing special kills known as Zendatsu. Zendatsu is Japanese for cut and take and refers to Raiden's ability to extract fuel cell electrolytes from enemies in blade mode. 
When performing a kill like this, the players will get their health and fuel cells back. These electrolytes are explained as part of the CNT muscle fiber in all enemy cyborgs, and Zendatsu plays an important part in the game's ending. In-game, you'll be triggered to perform Zendatsu when a red indicator appears on an enemy's weak spots. You can then cut that spot and use the action button to grab the fuel cell. This can be chained for multiple enemies within a single instance of blade mode as well. The animation also renders Raiden invincible during it, which makes it effective when being swarmed. I get those, skip those frames. Mm-hmm. I learned all about that in Elden Ring. <laughs> Even after performing Zandatsu, the players can keep racking up combo hits on the enemy, though doing so risks damaging the fuel cell or being unable to grab it if the combo pushes Raiden out of range of the combatant. Power cells that are damaged or land on the ground can still be recovered, but they will only provide partial recovery. Like with Peace Walker, ranked levels will be assessed with a letter grade on an S to D scale based on several factors, time, damage taken, number of deaths, etc. Many levels also have unranked components where letter grades and ratings are not applied. In stark contrast with other Metal Gear titles, stealth and pacifism are not a core gameplay component, but there are nods to both. A wooden sword exists which will not kill combatants, allowing the player to perform no-kill runs on certain missions. And there are stealth kills, called ninja kills, which can be performed without alerting nearby guards. In terms of key items, there are nano repair paste for health and electrolyte packs for fuel cells. The game does include both a cardboard box and a drum can for hiding, because, come on, it's Metal Gear. And there are weapons on maps that Raiden can pick up, such as rocket and grenade launchers, as well as weapons unlocked by beating bosses, which we'll cover as we go through the game. This game's take on experience is BP, or battle points, which will be allocated based on, a mis on mission rankings, items picked up, and enemy kills. These will allow you to customize Raiden in appearance, weapons, and skill set. Enemies in this game are all robots and cyborgs, but Metal Gear fans will recognize the geckos and Metal Gear rays that Raiden will encounter with regularity. The non-human combatants is something we see taking off concurrently in the Solid series, as both Peace Walker and the upcoming MGSV include significantly more unmanned weapons and AI weapons to minimize body count and allowing you to use your stronger weapons. If I remember correctly, they did... During development, they had the cyborg guys, but they also had like normal soldiers at some points. And uh, even in Japan, the ratings people were like, "No, you're not doing not doing this." It basically would have just been the the dream sequence on MGS three, like that amount of bloody. Mm -hmm. They just like rejected it, so you know that's fine. Yeah, and I think it makes sense because they really want you to like go to town, like hacking and slicing these things. And if you're yeah. like doing that kind of minute like surgery on actual human beings, it would. Not that, you know, I'm sure it'd be fine and gamers have a very high level of bloodlust, but I think it still would just be kind of beyond the pale for what they're trying to yeah. do and in being in line with Metal Gear. I mean, I think it would have fit just with, with Raiden becoming his, you know, his bloodlust increasing and increasing over the game. But yeah, it is a little funny that they still have in like, you can see like these guys' spines when you cut them in half, but you know, it's fine. It's it's robot spines and robot goop. They're fine. It's like, that's not really how it works, but... Speaking of MGSV, this game shares some thematic genes with it. According to Kojima, the theme of Revengeance is, you guessed it, 
Revenge. Revenge. Kojima must have a real lust for it, given that will be explicitly the theme of The Phantom Pain, as basically every character therein is on their own revenge trajectory, and we will dissect how empty that is, of course. Another prominent theme is Child Soldiers, one that has been part of the Metal Gear Solid series since the get-go, but has only started being directly tangible to game narratives. We saw it pop up in Peace Walker with Chico, and again in V, there will actually be child soldiers for Snake to contend with. Raiden himself, of course, was a child soldier, so that theme perhaps ties more co- coherently to his story than any of the snakes, except maybe Liquid. Yeah, because um, when he finds the, the stuff with child soldiers, which you haven't seen yet, it like it infuriates Raiden to the he starts wanting to kill all the bad guys even more. So that's part of his like motivation to to really. Because uh, spoiler alert, he goes rogue in this game. He like rejects. Uh, who's he? What? What? What is? What is his group? I forget. It's it's like peace something or. Uh, yeah, he he basically leaves them to go kill Desperado, mm-hmm. and so uh, that's like the second half of the game is 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 riding just on a complete but like just trying to kill the everyone in Desperado. He's mad at them, and that's part of, that's part of what pushes him there is finding what they're doing with child soldiers in this game. It's pretty pretty brutal and and fucked up and very Metal Gear. This game does much better with the brutal backstory stuff than 4 did with the Beauty and the Beast unit. Mm-hmm. That just came off as weird and exploitative. This just comes off as like, like pointless and brutal. And as as with everything in this game, it just pisses Raiden off more. <laughs> He's going to become the Fury in real time. That's uh, that's really the trajectory of this game. It's just one man getting pissed, getting pissed off more and more as the game goes on. I, I'm into that. I'm into that. Um, it's also of a piece then with all the James Bond movies coming out, the mm-hmm. Daniel Craig movies, because everyone has James Bond going rogue against yeah. MI6, basically. So it feels of a time with the Bond movies of it, which I always like that parallel. So uh, that's all I had on like the production and game design. Is there anything else you want to get in just because you played it a little more? It might be more familiar with systems I couldn't touch on quite yet. I mean, the stealth stuff, I think they there's a few times when it's, it's not, it is probably smarter to use it. But yeah, the game—the game in no way punishes you for for breaking stealth. It, it wants you to break stealth. It's a little weird. I think the the Blade Wolf DLC thing—they do a little better with it. Like they, it's more of a, a thing. But that DLC is also like a hundred minutes long at most, so it's kind of hard to really judge. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to think of any anyone. Uh, you haven't seen some characters yet. You did see the two of the three main villains in the game already, but yes, you saw Joe Biden and and Sam. <laughs> Uh, I, I have seen Minstre- Mistral. Is that the yes. woman? I, I've seen her. Like uh, Raiden uh, put her in his like sights or his scope. Yeah, um, that's exactly where I left off. Actually, so uh, do you? Do you like Dwarf Gecko? Do I? Do I like him? No, you better. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, they were such a pain in Metal Gear Solid Four, but I have a feeling I'll be able to deal with them just a little more effectively in this game. She, yeah, she she gives you the first. Um boss weapon which i it, it's fun it's pretty fun to, to mess around with like. I, no i'm excited to uh dive back in uh speaking to the stealth aspect there were a couple times where it's like oh this guard has its back to me i should sneak up and try to kill him uh but even then it's like the benefit of doing that wasn't really that high because basically yeah. everyone around them still i maybe i just didn't stealth right but it's just like there was too much free kills what it is yeah yeah. you get a free kill but it doesn't actually prevent them from like trying to swarm you after that or uh raising the alarm so yeah and there is like that like kind of alert status that exists uh which is actually um 
I, I don't want to get too far into this just because I haven't played enough of the game to like think about it. But there is like when you start this game, it really starts you with that like uh, Metal Gear Solid Four heads up display. Yes. And then after you get out of the intro, then it kind of does its own thing, which I thought was really cool. That's a really great way to bring you into the game. Yeah, that's one of the things about this game that's most interesting is it really takes the MGS4 aesthetic to a different level. That's the thing it's most successful, tie, like way it ties in with the other games. It's just like a um, really fascinating view of what that world looks like. Yeah, I kind of like that uh, uh, the, the stealth stuff is – it's still – I think the real problem with it is that this game actually is kind of a weird precursor to the Doom reboot in that it – um. It incentive like you want to be fighting because it mm-hmm. like it's easier to regain health and get more. I mean, in Doom, the only way to really regain health and get ammo is to run at enemies and, and do special kills on them to get. And this is a little bit like that. Like the easiest way to really heal yourself in this game is just find a bunch of guys and take them out. It's it's not it is not a game for it is an aggression. You know, you, you need to put your, your foot down and just charge forward. That's the easiest way to get through this game. It reminds me a little bit of uh, Ghost of Tsushima, which has, like most open world games, have like you know a stealth component to its you know open world gameplay. But at a certain point, there's no point in doing it because you're just strong enough and you just want to bust out your samurai sword and go to town. Yeah, um, there's no value, or I mean, there's some value, but only like you're just better playing, and the game is designed to want you to play as fighting on a bunch of people with your sword, not uh, not doing a Tenchu style mm-hmm. for what it is. Uh, the other thing I was thinking about is how it starts with the Metal Gear Solid 4 heads-up display and then switches to its own thing. It reminds me of the other playable ride-in game, Metal Gear Solid 2, where you do the tanker scene, and that is all in the same kind of like game-over screens as Metal mm-hmm. Gear Solid 1. But then as soon as it becomes ride-in story, he gets the whole you know mission-failed kind of uh, game over screen. And so they like use the previous game's uh, aesthetic for just the intro portion. And then once it becomes its own story, um, they give you the new uh, heads up display. So I like that uh, connectivity between the two games. So that's mission complete for this episode. Our frequency is podcastsoundsfrontiers at gmail.com and at podsandsfront on Twitter and Instagram. You can support Podcast Sounds Frontiers and all my other projects at patreon.com slash manuclearbomb, which manuclearbomb, hey, that's, that's me. I've been Manu. You can find me covering The Lord of the Rings over at My Brother, My Captain, My Podcast. I'm Brian, and America is diseased, rotten to the core. I, I endorse that message. I can't wait to. I can't wait for you to meet him. I can't wait for you to meet him. I assume that's Armstrong. Yeah, Armstrong. I love him. The most, one of the most the goofiest villains in the history of video games. Just wonderful. The most Metal Gear character that has ever lived, ever existed. I'm, I'm so excited. Shout out to our sound editor Stephen Boyd, aka DJ Empirical, on Twitter. 
Please remember to like, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast application. So until next time, remember, the war still rages within. Looking down.